podcast about makers in Alberta. I'm Vicki Brzezinski, a maker and designer, and I'm also co-producer of the Royal Bison Art and Craft Fair here in Edmonton. I've been part of the amazing maker scene here for almost a full 10 years, and after a decade where makers made their first craft experiments for sale, I'm wondering what just happened, and I'm asking my maker peers all about how we got here and where we're going now. For our first episode of the series, I spoke to ceramicist Molly McMahon of Stranger Design about how she went from designer to maker and even quit her real job to keep making ceramics. Molly tells us about how her side gig in the restaurant industry is super useful to her ceramics practice, how many mediums she's worked in in the past, how sustainability factors into her work, and why she makes things in Edmonton. She also helps us try to define what a maker really is. We talk about handmade versus designed, if she's ever taken a business class, and her cat Cosmo makes some super cute appearances. Please note this interview was recorded at Molly's studio in March of 2018, so a few dates Molly mentions may be a bit further back than you're expecting. Molly. Hi. What's your name? My, <laughs> uh, my name is Molly Bradford. What do you make at Stranger Design? I make, uh, I guess, ceramics. How long have you been making them for? I'm pretty new at it. I started so last summer, so almost two years. Sorry, that didn't make sense. The summer before last summer. <laughs> so you would call yourself an emerging designer? I would. And what's the first thing you ever made that made you think that you could maybe make some money off it? Could be a maker? Um, I guess in school because I went to industrial design for schooling and you know we'd make like little furniture pieces little products um I definitely started thinking like this this could be a career that's what I wanted it to be where do you come from did you go to art school design school are you self-taught what okay well I, I come from Edmonton and I did a lot of schooling and different things um went to radio school, then I went to fine arts school, and then I finally ended up in industrial design. And uh, and then after that, I mean, I didn't learn anything about ceramics in industrial design, but I learned a lot about processes and product design and form and color and stuff like that. And, uh, and after school, I thought, I just need another creative outlet just to add to my list. So I took a ceramics course at the City Art Center um, and after that, I was totally obsessed, so I couldn't get into enough classes at the City Art Center because of the timing. So while I was at the City Art Center, I was also taking classes at Clayworks. Yeah. Um, and then after about, I don't know, six months of going there, I decided to kind of take it out on my own. Yeah. Define taking it out <laughs> on your own. Um, yeah, so I, I bought all of the stuff to make pottery at my house. So I bought a wheel, bought a kiln, um, got all the clay, tools, stuff like that. And was it, did it start as a hobby or was it always kind of an intention of like, I would like to do this to support myself? Well, it definitely started as a a hobby, but it was so fast. The transition between like a cool hobby to do once a week to like my full time 30 hours a week doing it. Um, It started with, um, well, I work in the restaurant industry to start off with. And then I have, you know, like a lot of friends that are working at different restaurants, starting new restaurants. And 
um, my friend from Bira, uh, Mikey, he approached me and said, I want to have some of your ceramics at our new restaurant. And then I made a bunch of plates for them, some like smaller items. And then it just sort of like spiraled out of control from there. So that was a really awesome opportunity to kind of get me started in thinking I could do this. How much, like how many makers have that story where they're like, well, I just started making things and then <laughs> somebody asked me to make something for them. I think that's how it starts. Yeah. Someone's just like, oh, I, I appreciate what you're doing. I think it's cool. I would give you money for that. Yeah. And you think, whoa, you would give me money for that? That's crazy. <laughs> How did people know that you were making ceramic? I didn't actually have a smartphone until this, this like maybe six months ago. So I didn't have Instagram. Amazing. Um, I had like, I had Facebook. So every once in a while, like when I got a big batch out of the kiln, I would like take pictures of it and put it on Facebook, show all my aunties. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <and stuff>. yeah. <laughs> um, but then once I started making stuff for restaurants, like I was like, okay, I want to like, I'm making, I was actually making too much stuff to like have it in my house. So I needed to get rid of it. So I, I joined Instagram and started like being like, hey, I have these things and, and trying to kind of get rid of them yeah, yeah, yeah. While, while making money to kind of support my growing habit. For sure. I guess it must have been pretty helpful to already be in the restaurant industry considering you make plates, yeah. bowls, cups, <laughs> things people <laughs> need to eat off of. It's actually crazy. Like working, people are always like, oh, why don't you quit your restaurant job? Like now that you're kind of doing other stuff. And I've also had some other sort of just more like design contracts as well. And I'm like, well, it's the best networking tool on earth to work at a restaurant and just be seeing like all the people in Edmonton coming on through, through the restaurant. And I work at an awesome restaurant. So like there's always cool people there that want cool stuff. So it's been actually the best way to kind of move it forward. Interesting. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah, I could never quit. You can never quit. You're stuck doing this for the rest of your life. And yeah, now I'm making wares for my uh, for my boss, so it's definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. higher risk now, to quit probably. now. <laughs> um, Molly, would you call yourself a maker? Hell yeah. Yeah. Molly the maker. That's what I should have named it. That's an alliteration going on. <laughs> How would you define a maker in 2018? Yeah, that's pretty tricky. Um it is. I mean, so many people are makers, I, I think, now, and it's a really vague term, <laughs> but you could be making anything, like, just, like, a graphic designer is a maker, like, a, I don't know. I, I think that it's sort of a big umbrella. A lot of people could fit in it, mm-hmm. but just, yeah, if you make things and sell them, I guess? I don't know if you even have to sell them. But maybe you have to make multiples of something? Do you have to show what a craft fair? I guess. Where's the line? Where is the line? Maybe there isn't one. I don't know. But yeah, I think what like what's the difference between a hobbyist and a maker? Like that's that's something that's interesting. I guess if you're comparing the two, I would say a maker is like doing that as their as their career, like as their kind of main gig. Right. So they're much more focused on it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they just want to share it maybe as well. Sure show the public like I made these things that's an important part of the process to like share it with other people whereas I think if you were just maybe doing it as a hobby I think you're kind of it's like for you um whereas being a maker I think it's like it's more part of your identity you want to like share that with other people you got your start in making because you went to industrial design school um do you think it equipped you with the skills oh it definitely equipped me with the school the skills um I think I was already sort of fascinated by making things like from a very young age. 
Like, I loved how figuring out how things worked, taking apart old telephones, like, I loved, like, welding and, like, woodworking, and my dad builds cars, like, stuff like that. I was just really interested in it. I loved art always. I liked, like, a brief foray into playing music. I was just trying to, took a long time to figure out how, how to do that, I guess, as a career. Yeah. Like, I went through a lot of um, different iterations of a maker. Like, I was, like, making weird crafts, um, you know, like making art, doing other things, um, trying to, yeah, trying to do woodworking. Like I did a lot of lathe work for, before I found pottery. And I think I just finally found something that is like, has so many options. Like you can just do so many things with it and there's a demand for it. And you can, there's like, you can do it on your own. Like I have all this stuff in my house. And I think um, I finally found like the perfect storm of how, how to be a maker in my, in my world, I guess. What compels you to make things? What is it? I wish I would know. <laughs> I can't stop making stuff. As you can see, my house is just like full of stuff. <laughs> I can't stop. Um, it's just really cool. It's cool to have like some raw material, some seriously just wet dirt, and then you make a thing that looks awesome or looks stupid or whatever even if it looks stupid it's still cool that you made it yeah the scary thing is though with pottery is that like that thing is now a permanent object right like that's something that freaks me out a little how bit. do you mean like it won't biodegrade well, or something yeah like think about pompeii it's just in italy you just like see all these pots that were made in like antiquity yeah. and they're still pots yeah they don't degrade when you think about your work do you consider sustainability within yeah, production? For sure. It's starting to occur to me now. Like I feel like when I first started making pottery, every, every little thing that I made was so precious. I was like, oh my god, this is a wonky little cup. I'm going to keep it forever and look at it. And now I realize, well, I mean, you have to really make it worth it if you're going to do the fine, like if you're going to fire it, because it is forever now. It's, it's a, it's not going anywhere and you can't recycle it and it, before you fire it everything is completely recyclable you can just reuse that clay it's not a big deal so uh, that's something that I've been thinking about I've also been thinking about like the firing process that's like ceramics are a really energy intensive not a totally they seem like a really holistic practice but it is pretty hard on the environment and it's something that I've been thinking about lately um I haven't come up with some really stellar concepts yet of how to make it better sure but I do try in my practice now to like you know if a piece isn't perfect then just chuck it put it back in the bin and then make it a good piece mm -hmm. it's probably still better to buy like a handmade mug from Molly than it may be to get one from Walmart 100% anyway right definitely so, definitely mm -hmm. better to buy from me <laughs> everybody buy everybody don't go to Walmart just buy my stuff why do you make things in Edmonton? Yeah, okay, well, I'm from Edmonton. Uh, I grew up here. I moved away for a little bit, came back. The people in Edmonton are, are awesome. They I are. can't say enough about people from Edmonton. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of support. There's a lot of other makers, as you are figuring out, I guess, mm -hmm. through this. But, yeah, there's just a lot of people, and they're really nice. They're really helpful. Like, you go to... A, like, I have my little pottery store here in Edmonton, Plainsman. Shout out to Larry. He's the bomb. Uh, he is 
like my teacher. Every time I go in there, I'm like, ah, oh, this is wrong. And he's like, try this, try this, try this. Um, even the people going to the markets, they're like really, really nice, super supportive. They buy stuff or they, if they don't want to buy stuff, they just say, hey, good job. Like you're doing good. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. That's an Edmonton feeling, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So those are a lot of the pros of baking in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, let's hear about some cons. It's cold all the time. And, uh, that's not good because I have to have my window open in the basement when I'm firing my kiln. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really run into so much of a problem. I realize that's probably because I'm so new um, at selling and like doing the retail stuff. And because at the moment I, I'm like up to my ears. Like I, I don't have a ton of stores, but I have enough that it's keeping me super busy. I mean, there's only one pottery store in all of Edmonton. But, like, maybe it'd be cool if there was more than one, just to see what's out there. But, yeah. No, I mean, I think I'm at a small enough scale that being in Edmonton is kind of perfect for me. Did you make other things in the past before this current thing? For sure. I had, uh, I had some, like, I had some kind of embarrassing, uh, times that I'm not, not, not super happy to share. Um... Yeah, I, I definitely experimented with other stuff. I, I liked doing weaving as well, which I realized I'm not very good at weaving. I just really like it. So I was just trying to do that for like two seconds. I was in the 124th Street Market um, making these weird sort of like serving spoons. This was my most embarrassing thing. I don't really <laughs> like to tell anyone about this. Tell it to everybody listening. Yeah, to okay. So... <laughs> Yeah, my husband comes from a farm, and there's like a whole bunch of like antlers and and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is so cool! I'm gonna make these serving spoons with antler handles. Like, and then I took like silver antique silver spoons, and I'd like put them together. And then uh, what else did I do? Oh yeah, I I had a brief stint as a rolling pin factory. I was making a lot of rolling pins. This was also spurred on by my restaurant job because uh, yeah, they're all wanted like new pasta rolling pins yeah. so I was making rolling pins I feel like makers do this like all the time like I've probably had 10 different things that I've made before yeah. I finally settled on what I do can we talk a little bit about experimentation and I guess um, that horrible idea of failure that brings new work and yes. exciting new possibilities how do you navigate that oh man it's yeah it's pretty it can be pretty heartbreaking um, especially I found in the ceramics work, like this big piece, you work so hard and you spent hours and hours and it all comes down to like the last firing, you glaze fire and it's ruined or someone sticks to it or the glaze is just hideous. Like you look heartbroken. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've, I've recently gone through a, a traumatic glazing, uh, ordeal. It's so hard. It's, it just makes you feel sick kind of, but I, I always have to just remind myself that like. You know, I'm learning something from this. I'm getting a new skill. I'm like, this is gonna happen. Everyone who's an experienced potter that I've ever talked to is always like, like you tell them this heartbreaking story, you feel like, oh, you're gonna be so empathetic. You're gonna give me a hug. They're like, yep, that happens. They're just so unfazed yeah, by like it. War wounds. Yeah, here I am, <laughs> bleeding to death on the ground, and they're just like, yep, no big deal. Get up. And you're just like, oh my god, how? <laughs> I also have like a lot of really old equipment, like obviously, because I'm just kind of getting going. But yeah, my kiln is just a big old kind of junky Kijiji buy. <laughs> so the problems are endless. 
And but you do learn new things from it. And sometimes a glaze totally malfunctions. Hi Cosmo. And it's awesome. Yeah. Sometimes they're totally happy mistakes. But yeah. most of the time they they aren't. <laughs> but yet you keep going. Like you don't get frustrated with it and just give up on the craft. Like there's something about it. Yeah. Just have like a little stress cry and move on. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. What's the best part about making for you? I just love opening the kiln. Like it is I've heard so many people say this, but like it is like Christmas. Like when you get to open it and there's a whole bunch of like stuff that you don't know how it's gonna turn out. It's so exciting. I love yeah, just holding the new thing and being like, Oh, look at this or whatever. Um and then of course sort of like when someone wants to buy it, like that's so rewarding. Yeah. That feels really totally. cool. When someone's like, Oh my god, I love this. This is my new favorite thing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I was like riding a high after Royal Bison because yeah. you know, even if people don't buy it, they come by and they older they'll like you hear them talking to their friend. That's even better than them talking to you. Talking to their friends saying like, Oh, this thing is so cool. I love this. Oh, this would be perfect for whatever. Yeah. They weren't saying it directly to you, so you know they're not just kind of, like, lying <laughs> just to make you totally. feel good. You just get to eavesdrop. Yeah. Like, what is the hardest part about making things for you? <sighs> kind of, like, keeping up with the paperwork side of things. Yeah, just sort of, like, transitioning into being more of, like, a business and less of just, like, a person that sells pottery once in a while is... It's hard to navigate. Like, I'm, I'm... I feel like I'm a pretty, you know, I've got a lot of schooling behind me. I'm pretty clever, but I'm just like, oh my God, I could not be less motiva- motivated to kind of like get all this paperwork sorted out, figuring out where all the pieces are, if they've been paid for, consignment, that's a whole thing. Yeah. This is so interesting. Every maker I've talked to, essentially one of my questions is, you know, do you have a business background? Oof. Yeah, definitely like, not. Right? And so, so many artists and crafters and makers... And designers don't, but then... But then you're a business owner all of a sudden. And you have to spend part of your day... Yeah. Doing... Emailing. Administrative BS. Yes. <laughs> I really don't like that. This is where my husband comes in really handy. He loves Excel mm-hmm. and Excel spreadsheets and, like, making matrices. How much of all of this is an art and how much of it is a science? You have to always be mindful when you're doing the art part, like, I want it to look like this. You have to always think, like, okay, what will that actually function? Like, will that, A, make it through to being a real-life piece? Will it be easy to use? I guess that's kind of a bit of design, not really science, but design is a little bit of a Yeah, mix. for sure. Like, how much of it is, like, a logical thing? Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that really draws me to it, because I always found, when I was just doing art art, um, it wasn't, like thinking about the science like I think that's really cool and interesting and it like satisfies some weird part inside of me that like loves science (laughs) and and yeah um and I also like love reading those geeky magazines on ceramics and like the all the different chemicals and reactions makes you feel like a bit of a mad scientist sometimes yeah (laughs) (laughs) wearing my ventilator mask does an item need to be handmade to be made Yeah, that is something that I'm not 100% decided on. Because in one sense, I'm actually super interested in like how things are mass produced. I love efficiency. Like I'm always thinking about like, okay, how can this be done to be the most consistent, the most effective, like all that kind of stuff. And you are looking at saving a lot of money when things are more mass produced. But then, but then I also really, 
I had this sort of like romantic ideal of like being an artisan, like, wow, so, so romantic, (laughs) making stuff all day. I, I think that if you're designing a piece and your hands are still in it, like if you make the, the mold or the prototype or whatever it's all out of it's, it's all out of yeah. thinking yeah, yeah it's your brain yeah. that that made like i think that that's still being made by you one of the biggest changes that i've noticed is a bigger acceptability of mass manufacturing um the fact that like a job like being a potter is super hard on your body like you kind of wonder could i do it forever like would i last would i make it i've already got weak wrists i, I wonder like okay are you still going to be able to do it? I see all these like beautiful old 70-year-old potters that are awesome and way better than me. So I, it's possible. But you'd have to take really good care of yourself and make sure you stretch and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For <laughs> Which sure. I'm really bad at. Have you asked them what their secrets are? <laughs> yeah. Elliot Clayworks always like, she does lots of yoga. And then you also kind of think like, how, how do you get to the next level when you're only one person? Like you're not a factory. This is a huge question. Because either you have to start making things that are really expensive um or like there's only so much one person can make in a day how do you grow your business on that amount okay real talk is this your side gig was it at some point your side gig like and it's blowing up like can you make a living off of making ceramics well right now i would say i'm kind of breaking up my time about 50 50 with my other job so i work as a waitress at corso Um, Which is actually an awesome job to have when you're trying to get something else started. You're always working at night, work four days a week. Um, My idea, my my, plan is to do this double job until I have enough demand. There's a lot of options for a young designer these days. What made you choose this as your vocation? I feel like it chose me. I just like wanted to do this little six-week class and then it just got in my head like I couldn't stop doing it. I actually had um, like a real-life big girl design job that I got after school and I quit. (laughs) I was like, uh, yeah, sorry, I have to just go do some arts in my basement so I can't be in this job. That was a super fun interview, wasn't it? I hope everybody learned a thing or two about makers. I know every time I have one of these conversations, I think about what I do in a slightly different way, which is super cool. Thanks to Carbolizer for our original music. Isn't it fun? Yeah, it's fun. And big thanks to Edmonton Made. They're our season sponsor for 2019. You really should check out all that they do to prop up Edmonton's maker community by going to edmontonmade.com. And of course, you can get more info and show notes over at royalbison.ca slash makersmoment.